Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Teco News. My name is Monty Rossetti. On this episode, we go back to one of my favorite episodes with someone I consider an absolute legend, Melissa Ortiz. In honor of Women's History Month, we wanted to go back and listen to Melissa and her path in the sport of soccer. All right, Melissa Ortiz, thank you for, for taking some time of your busy schedule to, to come and chat with us. My first and most important question is, how are you doing right now? And how are you dealing with everything you got going on in, in your in your busy schedule? <laughs> Thanks, Monty, and thank you, Alex, for having me. Uh, I'm doing good. Can't, can't lie. I had a great weekend. Live in New York City. It was sunny. It was like high 70s. So like the whole city's happy. When you know the whole city's happy, you're happy. Uh, there's not people like shouting out the window like "f you." No, I'm kidding. But um, no, I'm all, I'm good. <laughs> I'm doing well, and uh, yeah, and happy happy to be here. Um, busy, yes, but grateful always. Definitely, definitely. No, that's that's awesome. Um, and then basically, let's kind of start from the beginning here. Uh, wh- where are you from, and where is your family from as well? Yeah, um, I was born and raised in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, and my parents are from Colombia. My mom is from Bogota. My dad is from Cali. Um, my family, I have two older brothers and we were raised in a very Colombian household, uh, in South Florida. Um, my parents actually, they immigrated separately, like with their families, uh, man, like 40 plus years ago, uh, to Queens, New York, where they met and then got married up here, lived, lived here, did the, the rat race, the hustle, um, and then moved to South Florida and, and then that's where we were born and raised. So, uh, great place to, to grow up for sure. I love South Florida. I love West Palm beach, West Palm beach, uh, 30 years ago was not what it is today, of course. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me and I, and I lived in Colombia as well. You talked a little bit of Melissa about, um, growing up in a really Colombian household. Um, I'm sure soccer was very much, very much part of your life growing up. Uh, how did you get your start? um into the into the sport yes soccer like you said is very much uh well it's part of our household but it's also part of our culture uh like in many countries of the world and for me it was mostly my my mom wanted to put me in in everything you know as 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 a kid And, and my two older brothers loved soccer they always played soccer and they played other sports too but I think just because of our culture and you know watching uh the world cup games when we were little and watching Colombia um the men's team when they, when they would compete when we were really young, I think it really just made us hone in on the sport. Um, although in South Florida, um, it's in West Palm beach, which is completely, even though it's just like an hour and a half from Miami, soccer wasn't very popular in the area. Um, and so my mom wanted to put me in a bunch of sports and I was really sporty, like very, very sporty. My dad was actually like, Oh gosh, she's not, she doesn't want to wear a dress. Like he was, he was like not happy. (laughs) Because all I wanted to do was wear umbro shorts like my brothers, you know, and like the the flat like Adidas uh, sneakers and just, I don't know, dress like a soccer player. And so, yeah, my, my mom put me in a bunch of different sports. I, I loved soccer the most. She even put me in dance classes, which I kind of liked, but like I wasn't 
I was just like, I wasn't as happy, I guess you could say. Like she put me in flamenco and I was like, okay, mom, like, no, this is this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> You're really pushing your childhood dreams, like <laughs> or like I'm a crazy kid, I need to run, I need to play. So yeah, so that's how I got into soccer. My brothers really pushed me. I was always the only girl like in the neighborhood or in the community. Um, and I think I really like excelled as a little kid, like played up a year or two years uh, throughout club levels and, and stuff like that. But loved it, loved every moment of it. And and um, and not only just playing, but I think my brothers really, I guess, like coached me into just being like a soccer fanatic all in. So whether it was like playing FIFA or uh, PES back in the day, Pro Evolution Soccer, um, or, you know, like watching the games with them when back in the day, you know, broadcasting wasn't as normal as it is now. So, you know, you're limited. We didn't have streaming back in the day. So like, it was like a thing that my brothers and I used to always do, like try to find and watch games together and then go watch games, go watch the Miami fusion, go watch Tampa Bay mutiny, like so many cool things that all like encompassed around soccer. And I think my brothers and I are, were, were so close uh, because of the sport as well. Um, first off, I think the game fist, I know that game, but I think it's super funny with people that don't know it as a game because fist also means fish. So people are <laughs> like, you play with fish. I'm like, uh, Never mind. I'm just gonna say FIFA from now on. But yeah, no, best was honestly I loved best more than FIFA, especially like like back in the day. Sorry for any EA deals if anybody I, has any over there. That no, was my I have no connections with them. <laughs> um, if you can leverage and get me a deal with them, I'm good now. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We can delete this part out of it as well. I don't want anybody to get in trouble. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by <laughs> EA Square. <No. laughs> I mean, like you know how it's different, like you shoot or you would shoot this with square, uh, cross with circle, and then it's vice versa on FIFA. To this day, I'm alternate on FIFA, right? I use square to shoot, circle to cross. And like, you only know when you go to play against each someone, like if they have to change their settings to alternate, it's because they, they grew up playing Pro Evolution. Revolution, yeah yeah well oh man the amount of times i lobbed the ball when i meant to shoot it on a one-on-one and i'm just like no but okay that's for our, our gaming series that we'll we'll, we'll yeah. probably launch in a few weeks here um but yeah uh you, you you did mention growing up in the in the colombian household i do have a question as well to that um because i grew up in an argentinian household and it was weird for me at times when I went to Argentina, like some of my family were like, yeah, you sound Argentinian. Other ones were like, you aren't Argentinian enough. And for me, it was like this like weird situation where it was like a conflict I had for you being called up to the Colombian national team and playing in Colombia. How did you, did you have any of those, those like issues where like people were like, no, you can't play. You're not Colombian enough. Like, was there any, any kind of issue or was it just easy going from the day one? It was never, you can't play because you're not Colombian enough because I mean, it's evident, like, if you don't grow up in the country, you know, if that's not your first language, you don't grow up in the country, no matter how much, how well you speak a second language, you're not going to have the same slang and, and accent and, you know, that perfection to the, I don't know, cultural part about pronunciations and things like that, um, as if you like you were to have been born in that country. So for me, I'm, I, I can relate to you. Like I have um, English is my first language. Spanish is my second language. Uh, my Spanish is, is great. Like I can have a full on conversation, but if I go to Colombia and I'm, for instance, in a taxi, like they'll right away know like, oh, you're, you weren't 
born and raised here, you know? Um, so it's not like I have like a super gringo accent, but yeah, it's notable. And it took me a long time to like, I guess, come to terms with it because I used to be like super embarrassed. I'm like, I hate it. I hate my accent when I speak Spanish, you know, but at the same time, I feel like I owned it, uh, through years and like becoming more mature because it's, it's a great thing to have no matter how good or bad you can speak it. As long as you could speak a language in itself, like it's a beautiful thing. So I own it. Um, but with the national team, it was never like that. They knew I was like, there was a few of us that came from the U S to play in Colombia on the national team. And, uh, they wouldn't really, they wouldn't relate to me as like la gringa because although I have like a different accent to theirs, um, I'm very, very, and I have been and was very engaged in like the Colombian culture. So like from the get-go, you know, I was the one dancing in the locker rooms and singing all these Colombian songs. And like, sometimes it would catch them off guard. Like, I mean, like true Colombian, like Vallenato or like oldies, you know, they'd be like, how does she know this? You know, (laughs) it's just like, I feel like I was really, I was, I was accepted. Not, I don't want to say like right off the bat, because you have to like, obviously prove yourself as a person and as a player but I think like after just a little bit it just you know I'm I was very much accepted have a Colombian citizenship I lived there so but yeah I, but to answer your question like in someone else's experience I do know other you know girls or women that have gone to play for the national team and like didn't have the same experience as me you know perhaps they didn't know Spanish uh that well or just didn't really get on with you know the players and have that connection because of the culture and you know things like that so i i see where where, where you're saying and it's valid yeah the the experience that you just mentioned melissa and monty too uh very similar to how i grew up i grew up in a, in a mexican household you know born here but my mom being a, a migrant from mexico and um yeah identity is a tough thing but i'm really um happy to hear that you just embraced it i always like to talk about like when i refer to myself i'm like yep i embraced this you know, my Pocho Spanish and all its glory and, and that's it. Um, I do remember also reading um, certain articles about, I guess, some of like uh, Mexican-American players in the Olympics and, and World Cup, like uh, playing for Mexico and having to like Google like the the words to the national anthem even. Um, I do want to ask you, like, oh, did you have to do that or like uh, or did oh, yeah. you like know that <laughs> already? OK, so. Obviously, the first national anthem that I learned was the American, right? Because of schooling here. So, but the thing is, is like one of my brothers, he's like very proud to be Colombian, right? Especially when we were little. He was just like, there was a Colombian flag in his room. He had like, (laughs) he was super into like politics and stuff. He like had the, uh, like campaigning for president. We were like 15 years old uh, and his like posters and his, his, on his wall. And so I knew like the Colombian, like, anthem but I didn't memorize it like it was just like a thing I would hear and I knew it was it right or from world cup games and you know Copa America eliminatorias whatever um you just knew it but I didn't know the actual lyrics so when I first got to Colombia on the national team it was like U20s I was just trying out and stuff so I wouldn't need it but then when I made the team and I knew there was like a coming upcoming match and I'm like holy shit like what if I'm a starter you know, or like, and I'm on TV or even so, like even not even be a star, like be on the bench and at least like, you know, yeah. like prove yourself, Melly. So yeah, I definitely like, <laughs> Googled it. I think in the hotel room back in like 2009 or like 10, 
and memorized it real quick. I remember, I, I, I hands down remember this. Our national team coach, this is crazy. They used to take away our cell phones in camps. And so we had no like access to the outside world when we were in camps. Okay. Which is crazy. We, we would only get like an hour or two hours a day to use our phones, to like talk to our family, friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever. And so literally I brought like after my first camp, when I learned the second time I went down, I brought a, an iPod. Remember the old iPod? Like it looked oh, like yeah. an iPhone, but there was like different types. <laughs> yeah. But like those yeah. newer iPods, you were able to then like on Safari, right? So then I would turn in my I would turn in my cell phone, but then I bring the iPod, and I'm like, "What's up, bitches?" And so I'd be in my hotel room, like googling Phantom, and then I would go in the notes area of my iPod and like write it, write it, write it, and I memorized it. And the next thing you know, I'm like in the shower, freaking singing the national anthem. Uh, but yeah, that's how I learned it. People were like, why is why is Melissa just constantly singing the national anthem? Like, what's going on? <laughs> She's singing like, it all the time. <laughs> like, hear me in the bathroom, like, oh, Gloria y <laughs> Hilarious. That's awesome. Um, well, my, my next question here is actually uh, representing Colombia at the 2012 Summer Olympics. Um, again, you hear a lot of people, you know, that moment of representing your country in any kind of competition is, is something that's super emotional. How was it for you, you know, representing them, you know, now, you know, the national anthem, you're singing the national anthem there. Um, and you're, you're representing your, uh, your country in the Olympics. How was, how was that for you? Uh, it's, it was the best, like moment of my life, you know, one of the, um, it's a feeling and I get this question, obviously a lot, just like many players do, like. It's just a feeling of pure pride and like emotions and like pride and, and honor pride. And, and like, you're proud of yourself for getting to that, to that moment, you know, you earned this spot to like represent your country um, that, and like, it just hits so many, I think parts of your, your emotions, parts of your body, parts of your brain that like, you can't even explain. Like, I remember I remember the first time I heard the national anthem. Well, the first time I actually walked walked into the locker room and I saw my jersey like with the name on it. That was the first time I was like, "Whoa!" Like, I'm living this, you know. And then like all of a sudden, like your your mind just flashes back to like history. You're thinking about your parents and their immigration story. You're thinking about your your grandparents, you know, and what they did and like how they were your grand your great grandparents. So like it's crazy how your life, like your brain just flashes in this instinct as soon as like those moments happen. And so for me it was like, oh man, it was it was one of the craziest and like sublime moments of, of my life for sure. And to be able to sing the national anthem and score a goal and all these things, there was like it was honestly like a dream come true for me, but also like a moment for my family as well. When you scored that goal, did you black out or can you remember like every moment of, of that? Because I always hear athletes about like, um, you know, try to explain pivotal moments in their careers. And it's like either one or two things. They they close their eyes and they're there or they're like, I don't remember. Like I have, have to have see the replay to, to remember that. What, what was it like for you? I have to go with both because <laughs> I feel like, I, I, my first goal is like a U20 World Cup um, and it was against Germany in Germany. So like the, the stadium was packed and I just got subbed in like minute 60. And within those first 10 minutes I scored, but I just remember like, and honestly, I have to look at the highlights. To, like I look at the highlights to see what my movement was on the pitch. Cause I think I blacked out too. 
but like in that when I I just remember seeing the outside back like pass it to me and I remember that distinctly like in that motion but the turn that I did and like the shot that I hit and like with my left like I'm a pure righty it was that I think I, I, I truly like just blacked out like it just was those are things that you practice for hours and you just it just it just happens you know but I definitely blacked out right there like when I did the turn and shot but then I just remember like going in and being be like holy shit I just scored <laughs> and then like I just like celebrated I saw my 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 teammates like running up to me but we were down three nil against Germany at the time so it wasn't like a freaking great celebration but for me it was great um and I remember uh looking up towards the stands in the stadium and I knew where my family was sitting and I just looked up at them and I see them like crazy like it was it was great but it was a mix of like that blackout feeling with with like okay that really happened (laughs) Now let's also talk about the differences between the women's game and the men's game. Um, and I know you experienced it, a lot of it firsthand in Colombia. And it's an issue here in the United States with equal pay. It's constantly in the headline news with the U.S. women's soccer team fighting for equal pay. How was it for you in Colombia um, in, in that situation? Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest, not at all. I mean, when I first got to, down to Colombia in 2009, you know, like I said, I was born and raised in the U.S., so women's soccer, women's sports was, it's very different. And you compare 15 years ago to where women's sports is now, I mean, it's a whole nother ballgame as well. But the differences when I went down to Colombia were astronomical. I mean, the fact that I had to pay for my own flights many times, um, I had to... I don't know when I, for instance, when I was like trying out for the national team, I literally would have to take like taxis and public transportation to get to the field. Like there's so many stories that me and like other players have lived that when you look back on it, you're like, wow, like I can't believe I did all of that, you know, which, which is crazy that we had to do this. And us women had to do this. Um, but it's just, it's just not fair. It continues to be unfair. Uh, the pay is, is so bad. Like, and which is one of the reasons why I didn't want to continue playing because I knew it wasn't something that I, that was sustainable for me personally, uh, amongst other things like injuries and my body was just getting taken a hit. And I was like, you have to think about, you have to weigh out, you know, is this really worth it? And is it monetarily worth it too? And yeah, passionate is worth it. And like your, your, your pride is worth it. But, um, there comes a point and, and I say this a lot, like there comes a point in your life that like you start to value who you are and you value yourself. Um, and the way that women's soccer is in Colombia and in South America is truly, they don't value women. And I don't want to just say in soccer too, in many industries, they don't value women still, um, enough. So yeah, uh, we were getting paid uh, on the national team, $20 a day, <laughs> like to be in camps. So it was just like nothing. And then, you know, we would get like bonuses here and there if we perform well in tournaments, which sometimes would be overdue. We wouldn't like, they wouldn't disperse that money for like six months plus. And then, which is crazy too. Uh, another thing is like, you know, those Panini stickers for World Cup. So what happens is like Panini approaches, you know, your federation, whatever. And that was the first time Panini was 
doing a Panini World Cup women's look, right? And so they took pictures of us and they put it in the sticker book. And the crazy thing is like, we were just so naive because we never had done this before. None of us really had agents back then and, and or lawyers. And so we didn't know that we had to be compensated for that. <laughs> like crazy. Wow. And so what happened was like the Federation actually pocketed that money and we had no idea until like, six months or a year after the actual world cup did we get you know notification from the players union um thankful to them and they continued to support us like they had notified us or our team captain who notified us to be like hey um you guys were you guys ever paid for panini things and we were all like no and it was just like wow we should have been paid like are you kidding me and i'm telling you it's like pennies like i think i was transferred via western union from colombia to us but it was like 150 dollars. like it was nothing okay like nothing and so just that just goes to show like like i say like they don't value women at all so this was back i don't know maybe like eight years ago and so if i speak about like current times um it's gotten a little better. It's gotten a little better after my my teammate and I spoke out against the Federation publicly. It has. And there's more coverage now, at least. There's some more support. Um, but there's a lot to do, and it's still very underpaid. I'm trying to follow that up. Um, yeah. Um, I think a lot of us kind of know that reality. Um, but to, to hear somebody like kind of with firsthand experience, you know, um, you know, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Melissa, uh, we really appreciate that. And yeah, like one of the things that Monty and I hope to do with the podcast is to like elevate these stories. And when people listen, you know, hope to, hope to like learn something new, you know. Uh, so so thank you for sharing that. Um, I did want to um, actually keep in with the um, World Cup theme. Um, you did miss the uh, you injured. I believe it was your Achilles um, in, in 2015. Um you know, having had the experience of being in a, in a previous uh, Olympics and, of course, like scoring, uh, scoring a goal. Right. Um, and you, you talked about seeing your jersey, like your, your, your name on that jersey for the first time. You know, what what was that moment like when, um, you know, when you tore your Achilles and it, it knocked you out of the 2015 World Cup? Uh, it was the worst moment of my life. You know, it's like in any career, whether you're an athlete or you're not, um, you have your highs and you have your lows. And that was definitely my lowest low ever. Um, I had been, that was the only tournament not um, checked off my bucket list to, to compete in. And it just was really unfortunate for like a series of events. Um, not only because I missed out on the World Cup, but also because I missed out on the Pan American Games. And I had made the, both rosters already. Like my coach at the time had told me uh, I made both rosters. And uh, we already had left Colombia actually and got to... Colorado just the week before the World Cup. So we got to Colorado to uh, play some friendly games and then and then go up to Canada after that. And I had been I had been complaining about my Achilles, both of my Achilles for like six months previous uh, because that World Cup and one of the unfortunate things that like still messes me up to this day is like, why was that World Cup played on turf? you know? And so because it was played on turf and there was like a whole lawsuit in itself that tried to be done, our team, we would train on turf, you know, five of the seven days of the week just to get used to how the ball rolls and everything. It's very different. And so 
because we were training on so much turf, like my joints were really feeling it, whether it was my knees or my Achilles, but it was mostly my, both of my Achilles that were really taking a hit, like really bad. And the problem is that even though I told like the team doctor and stuff, like she didn't do anything about it. Like she's like, she was more on like the hush hush, just like, Hey, get through it, get through the world cup and then take care of it. Instead of, you know, months previous or maybe even a month previous whatever hey let's rest you for two weeks or like hey let's actually evaluate how bad your achilles is let's go get you an mri let's get you an ultrasound let's see what's really wrong but no they don't want to spend money on that so let's just keep on icing it and heating it and putting stem and 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 that's it like band-aid and so yeah so i completely blame it on that like mismanagement lack of respect uh for us as athletes and um unfortunately like it happened that a few days before the world cup it 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 went out like it it just gave up and it's crazy because i remember those two weeks before it happened i was like man i think my achilles is getting better like finally finally i get out of bed and it's not hurting um so when you have a, a tendonitis it's like you get out of bed and it's, and it's, and it hurts. But then once you're warmed up and stuff, like it's, it goes away. But then once you stop playing and it gets cold again, and it's like really sore. So I was dealing with that for like three, four months straight or more. And so then two weeks before the world cup, I was like, dang, perfect in time. Like I'm good. And I was at the peak of my game. Like I was starting on and off with the other outside back. I was a forward my whole life and they switched me to outside back. And that was the spot I was competing for and like really learning that position. And I was doing really, really well, super in shape, best shape of my life. And, um, I, it, it actually didn't hurt me because in that moment it went from tendonitis to tendinosis. So that's when, you know, like your fibers are like pretty much like ripped. Like you don't really have that. I guess your, your brain doesn't really, you don't feel that pain anymore. So I guess it was already like this. And then finally it just gave out and it, and it, and it tore uh, my right one. So, yeah, um, for me, it was like a, a stab in the heart for sure. You know, it's so many months and years of preparation for this moment that I was like so close to and like made the roster for and like that in Pan American games. But um, there's always like a silver lining and, it was hard for me to understand at the moment. Of course, it took a lot. I was depressed. I de- dealt with a lot of issues. Um, and of course with, with, you know, a goal right away to try to jump back and, and compete in the Olympics the following year. But, uh, like the silver lining, I said, if it wasn't for the, that Achilles tear crazily enough, um, I wouldn't have met my, my fiance right now. Like I met him during my recovery in Florida, the very week that I went to West Palm Beach to recover from that surgery, uh, he moved from San Juan, Puerto Rico to West Palm Beach. Um, and we met. So it's like, it's, it's crazy to think about it now. But I guess like, that's beauty of life in its in a, in a nutshell. When I hear your story and yeah, you have highs and lows like a lot of people have had, uh, you are a true inspiration of of like the word hustling and uh, also accomplishing a lot. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you're involved in today 
and it seems like you're you're in a lot of different things but i respect all the work you do um and yeah just just let everyone know all all the amazing uh work that you're you're doing today thank you yeah i feel like i'm an octopus a lot um, <laughs> but it's like what you said it's like I even say like I'm a hustler and I feel like my parents just like created hustlers cause they were, and I feel yeah. like that also being part like a first generation American and, and, and being from immigrant family, it's just like, you got to do what you got to do, whether it's to make ends meet or to, to do what you love to do. Right. And to create a future for yourself. So, um, I do a little bit of everything when I stopped playing soccer, um, I was living in West Palm beach and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and my, my, my dream at the time was like, man, I would love to get into broadcasting. I had previous to that, I had like internships. I studied marketing in college, like mostly business focus, but it was something in deep down inside me that I was like, I love broadcasting. I think I would be okay. Like on camera, if I learned how to do it. Um, I love talking about soccer and, and going to matches and being at events and stuff. So I was like, how do I do it? And so I remember just reaching out to people. I mean, it, it's crazy. When I, when I talk to this, I, t- I, talk, I tell my fiance about these things. Like if you get a former Colombian male player that just retired, you very well know that the very next day he's going to have an, either one, retire without having to like move a finger and be okay. Or two, like, you know, he's going to have, he's going to be the next lined up to, to be a broadcaster or do this or do that or be a coach or be at academy, whatever it is. It's not like that for us. And I knew it wasn't going to be anything easy. It's literally starting from scratch, absolute scratch. And at the time in West Palm, I was working accounting and marketing in my parents' business, small business. And um, I was really unhappy, really depressed, went from a high at like playing in Olympics or going to Olympics and playing with the national team again. to being like, I'm at a desk nine to five. And so I was like, man, um, how do I get into broadcasting? So I contacted people, I think via LinkedIn or something like that in Miami at ESPN. I talked to this guy, went down and I was just like, how do I do this? And he was just like, okay, like, you know, you need to create a reel. You need to do this and that, but are you sure you want to do this? Like, and I'm like, yes. And I will never forget. I'm on my way back from Miami driving up to West Palm. It's like an hour and a half. And I put in the audio book of, um, Gary V uh, crushing it, which is like about creating content and like not giving a shit about what other people think of you. And, you know, you just got to hustle. And literally he's telling me this. And I start like thinking about all these ideas in my mind, like, man, it's 2017, 18. I'm like, there's no women really on social media talking about soccer, really doing like soccer drills and all this stuff. I feel like I could like really do this. So I just started like creating content on social media, um, you know, apart from like the freestylers who are already, who are already killing it. You know, there wasn't um, any other like really soccer talent on social media back then. Now it's flooded. Now it's, it's crazy how much it's grown. Um, but yeah, I continue to, to create uh, content on my social media platforms. That's one of the things I do uh, on my Instagram. Mostly I have like TikTok, Twitter, of course. Um, but my thing is my niche is soccer, but it's a mix of soccer, lifestyle, and fitness. Um, and I've been able to work with incredible brands over the course of the past few years, ranging from uh, BMW to uh, Cricket Wireless, um, 
I don't know, like a ton of really cool brands right now. I'm with Michelob, uh, Michelob Ultra, the beer brand, um, a wide range. And then that thing, even though I was creating content around soccer, I wanted to have like an end goal. I'm like, why am I doing this? And it was mostly to try to build a reel to get comfortable on camera and be able to speak and everything. And so once in a while I would do, you know, weekend previews of the premier league. And, and I remember just doing my videos and editing it myself and all this stuff. Um, so that, Hey, perhaps someone is going to see it out there and be like, Hey, she could be cool for hosting something. And that honestly opened doors and it led to other things. I hosted something with Bleacher Report, uh, went to Nigeria with them, did stuff with La Liga, uh, International Champions Cup. Um, yeah. And now it's, it's, it's continuing to grow. So like it's, I do that too. So it's kind of like social media. Um, then there's a hosting aspect of it. Um, I do some consulting stuff on top of it. And then I recently uh, started a, a coffee company. So it's a little bit of everything. And that was a long version, but I had to give some explainer behind it. But yeah. <laughs> no, but I knew I knew it was a long list of things. That's why for me, it was like, I think that is super inspiring because you said 2017, 2018, you were at a yeah. desk job. That's not that long ago. And now I swear it's like every day, if I look at Melissa's uh, uh, social media stuff, it's like you're doing a workout video, you're doing stuff with the New York Red Bulls, you're uh, kicking off a coffee company, like, and these are all things that you're passionate about. So I think I, I look at you as inspiration. But yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think I think a huge role in I don't know, like, I, I guess, recent, I, I don't know, success, or just, you know, getting these opportunities. I think New York City played a huge part in that because uh, my fiance and I moved here in 2000 in late 2018. And I think that was a, a, ma a massive jump for me personally, because I don't think I would have been able to do all this if I was in Florida at the time, especially in West Palm Beach, not even in Miami, especially back then. No, I think the soccer culture here in New York City is really unique and all the big companies are here. Your networking capabilities are incredible. You meet the right person. They like your talent. It can lead you to so many different opportunities and things. And actually, the first week that I moved here to New York, I right away wanted to start to attend events. I was like, I got to network. I got to hustle, blah, blah, blah. And I saw Jimmy Conrad's, like, one of his events in Brooklyn. And that was literally the first week I moved to New York. And I was like, we haven't even have our furniture in our apartment, I don't think. And I'm like, I want to go to this event. And I'm going to go. <laughs> That's where I met him and like a bunch of other cool people. And it just shows like the beauty of the city and what it can truly do. I've, I've heard of Jimmy Conrad. He's, he's a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> this is my final, um, my final question here, Melissa. Um, you know, you, you talked about your, your kickoff coffee uh, company. You talked about the, uh, the really highs and the lows of, of playing, uh, you know, soccer at the highest level. Um, yeah. And you know, you're, uh, recent, uh, I guess, contract with Football TV, where you're going to be doing some broadcasting there. You know, as somebody who is is done so much, um, what advice or what's the message you give to to young girls who are, um, you know, who are maybe, you know, following in your cleats, right? You know, looking to, you know, to pursue a career in professional soccer, um, or you know, just to be an entrepreneur. What's your what's your message to um, to the generation that's to come? I'd say one of the thing is you got to find your passion and, and, and go for it. 
it's sometimes really hard to find your passion. You know, I have a lot of friends that are like, I don't know what I'm passionate about. I have a lot of, you know, passions. Um, but I like find your thing and, and, and go, go like full on on it. Um, another thing is like, I, and I, and I say this and it's, and it's hard sometimes even for me, but, um, it's, what is that quote? It's be prepared, be prepared or be prepared to fail. So if you fail to prepare, be prepared to fail is the quote. So there's like so many things that you could do for preparation um, in whatever you want to do, you know, whether it's you want to be a professional soccer player. It's like you have to prepare, you have to practice, you have to put in the time. And it's not like, like today you see on social media and I know firsthand because I see all this content every day and I create content, but it's like, don't do stuff just for social media, especially if you want to be a pro soccer player or play college soccer or whatever, like do stuff for yourself. Um, because that's what matters the most, um, that, and, you know, keep hustling, keep working hard. I see how my, how many trials and tribulations and how many challenges my parents went through and being an immigrant and, and, and creating their own business. And it's just like, you have those high ups and you have those low downs but it's like as long as you have that grit and that determination and you set goals to really you know achieve what you want to achieve I feel like anything is possible honestly it doesn't matter what who you are if you're a man woman non-binary if you're black white hispanic doesn't matter um you know anything is possible and I think that's the beauty one like I said previous about life but also about the USA too, about this country and why our parents immigrated here. Um, that's, 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 that's a true story in itself. So yeah, I feel like for the message would be like, keep hustling. I always say you got to hustle. You got to hustle for what you want. Melissa Ortiz, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to leave it off on that amazing message. Uh, yes. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you guys.